We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And number four, Victor Oladipo is back. Pacer fans, welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace, and my goodness, it is good to be a Pacer fan, and it is good to have Victor Oladipo back in the lineup. Fachi, what an amazing game. Alex, for about 46 minutes, this game was very subpar. The Pacers were letting the Bulls stick around. The Bulls were even up seven points, but in that final two and a half minutes left, everything changed. All of a sudden, The Pacers mounted a comeback behind Malcolm Brogdon, but it was Oladipo showing who he is, hitting the biggest shot of the night, the three-pointer, to tie it and force overtime. It felt like old times, Alex. It, It felt very fitting to me to see Oladipo just rise up, take that shot. I mean, when I looked at my box score on a on ESPN's little tracker where they're showing the play-by-play. I was like, I wonder how far out that was. They claimed it was a 28-footer. Fachi, that looked like a 35-footer to me. It was deep. 
Honestly, Hutchinson had – I think he was just – he looked like a deer in headlights. He did not expect Oladipo to pull trigger on that three. You see Oladipo doing a little strut. He had a dance going on, <laughs> and it was awesome to see because it instantly made you forget about all the misses that he had earlier in the game. When it mattered most, he came through, and it shows he is one of the clutchest players in the NBA. Absolutely, Fachi. And an interesting note here that I got on Twitter from Scott Agnes. He said the Pacers outscored the Bulls 22-6 to over the final 9 minutes and 11 seconds uh, to get that 115-106 victory. Oladipo had 9 points, 2 rebounds, 4 assists in 21 minutes, and his only 3 of the game sent the game into overtime. So, you know... If you look at the numbers from Oladipo, a little bit rusty. We we knew this was going to be the case. I mean, this is the first time this guy has played NBA basketball in 371 days, Fachi. Can you imagine being an athlete at his level, not playing for over a year? I, I can't. It almost would probably seem like a, like a prison sentence, basically, when you're uh, unable yeah. to do what you love for over a year. So I don't want to say that he looked nervous. I don't want to say that he looked hesitant. It just looked a little bit of rust that he had to shake off. That's completely natural when it's been over a year. It's not a superhero. He is a human being. And in the end, when when he finally shook off the rust, he hit the biggest shot of the night, and it made all the difference for these Pacers tonight. Faji, were you able to see the post-game interview with Jeremiah Johnson and Victor Oladipo? Uh, no, I actually ran up because we wanted to record right after this, okay. so I did miss that. Okay, so I, I just encourage you to go on Twitter and watch us as soon as we're done recording, and maybe you can even pull it up now while I'm talking, but it will literally bring you to tears. Jeremiah Johnson interviewed Malcolm Brogdon after the game was over. Brogdon talks about it, then Oladipo comes on. And he's like, you know, Vic, what was going through your mind when you hit that shot? All of a sudden, Victor, he's just like, I just took the shot, man. And he just starts crying. And he said, this has been a tough week for everybody. He said, I just had that Mamba mentality. That's and, amazing. You, you know, it's it's been a tough week in the NBA. It's been tough to be on Twitter because you just feel like if you talk about anything basketball related that's not related to Kobe Bryant – then you know you're being insensitive to the moment and the severity of this tragic helicopter crash that happened on Sunday afternoon. So it was really good that the Pacers finally got to play some basketball. It was great to see Oladipo come out there and you know just be back on the court with this team. And then, like you mentioned in the beginning, Fachi drained that three in the way that he did. And you know what? He even had a nice little defensive play there at the end on Zach Levine and he was, as he was driving to the basket. It could have been a foul, but I don't think the referee was going to call anything on Oladipo tonight, Fotch. I don't think so either. And you got to also remember, this is Zach Levine that had 43 points the last time these Pacers and Bulls met. So Levine held to 7 of 23 shooting. Uh, they really struggled from three-point land, but... The Bulls, while they end up shooting 53%, it was actually over 61% in that fourth quarter, just overall, until things went south for the Bulls. You really felt the loss or the absence of Miles Turner tonight down low. Bulls got a lot more than they should have. But yeah, I mean, when you talk about Oladipo and the Mamba mentality, he walks into the stadium tonight with the Kobe jersey. I thought that was a lot of, you know, really nice respect paid. Towards uh, Kobe, obviously, as you mentioned before, just a brutal week. But a, a brief moment like that, Oladipo hitting that three-pointer, lets you forget about that and, and actually just enjoy the moment 
for a quick second, and it was amazing. No, you're you're completely right, Fachi. And watching this game, like I'm sitting here, I turned the game on because I told you I was out and about tonight, so I wasn't able to watch the game. Had some prior obligations, but unfortunately, I turned the game on. We're down by seven, and I'm just like, man, are we really about to blow this game to the Bulls without their you know, starting front court in Oladipo's return. Like, this is not how this storyline is supposed to go. Like, we are supposed to win this game. And I'm like, there's no way we can lose this game. And we just continue to make stops. I mean, you look at that Bulls team. They had Sadoransky out there with Felicio, Thad Young, Zach Levine. I don't even remember who the other guy was out there. It might have been, what's his name? Denzel Valentine. That's who it was. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you knew the Bulls were only going to go to Zach Levine at this moment. Like, they had no other options, and the Pacers defensively were just unbelievable in that in that last sequence there, the last three minutes of the game, uh, just completely taking over defensively the steals that they had, just Brogdon, two terrific dunks to close that gap. You see Sabonis uh, just being a force in the pick and roll and, and the rebounding. And honestly, you know, Fachi, I don't want to get too off topic because I do want to just come back and talk about Oladipo a little bit more. It was just unbelievable to to see him out there switched on to Levine defensively, mm-hmm. and I thought he actually did a really good job. He did. He wanted to take on that challenge, and I thought that that was pretty awesome because Zach Levine is a fringe all star right now. I don't think he's going to make it, but he's right in the conversation. He, well, and he's got to play defense to first. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) He's not going to make it, but he's still a very, very talented player. And for Oladipo's first real assignment in over a year, I thought it was awesome to see him take on that challenge. Uh, The Pacers really just, they saved their best for last. Obviously, Oladipo's shot being the biggest. But when you touched on Brogdon, Brogdon just seven points down the stretch. It was was huge, huge for the team. And Oladipo, look, it, it was evident. He loved that top-of-the-key three-pointer tonight. It didn't fall, but I feel like that's a shot that he worked on a lot oh, this yeah. summer and this offseason and while he was rehabbing. So I feel like the shot will fall. It's just a matter of, hey, it could have been anything. It could have been the, a little bit of the jitters. It could have been a little bit of rust. It's going to happen, and this is exactly why you feel like the Pacers, with the record that they have right now, they can breathe a little bit and let him become who he is. Right, and I and honestly, Fachi, like, this was his first game back. He he's still trying to remember how to play the game in a sense, uh, play with these guys. I mean, when you look at the overtime lineup, Fachi, only one pacer was on that roster last season, and that was Demontis Sabonis. You had mm-hmm. four new guys on this year's team out there in overtime, while Oladipo and Turner were watching from the bench. You know, uh, Turner was out tonight. I'm not trying to dog him. I'm just saying. You know, the guys that were here last year were not even on the court with Sabonis. So it just goes to show you, like, it's going to take time. We saw earlier in the season the chemistry was going to be something the Pacers had to develop, and it's going to take time. But this was the first game that Oladipo came back. I'm sure he was nervous. I'm sure he was excited, anxious. Like, every emotion you could think, emotional, he was probably going through. And now that he's gotten over that hump and he's played that game and he's had that game tying three, watch out, New York. I mean, he's still going to be on a minutes restriction, but I do think that we're just going to continue to see Oladipo get better and better each game. I completely think so. He played 10 minutes in the first half, and uh, it, it was it was a little, um, I don't know, it, it was interesting. He was at one point 0 for 6 from 3. He made his only uh, two-pointer uh, at the moment, um, and it was, a, it was a runner. That was nice to see. But what I really enjoyed, Alex, was he kept looking to set up Goga. Yeah. He kept 
giving him these little side passes, these little quick like drive. Oh, you saw Oladipo draw two defenders so many times that just that alone is so valuable to this team. He's going to get guys open looks. The four assists in 21 minutes, it just shows of the he's commanding double teams. He got to the free throw line. He shot four free throws, tied for second most on the team, and that's in limited action. Yeah. So just think about the 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 defense that he's commanding. So uh, Goga, while he finishes with ten points, he could add a lot more because Oladipo was getting him some really good looks, and that's what you want to see to get your big man and teammates involved. Absolutely, Fachi. Well, I think that we've pretty much covered the first game back from Oladipo as extensively as we can for the limited minutes that we saw. So let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and talk about how some other guys did and what the Pacers might need to look at improving on. Uh, with the next upcoming games. All righty, everybody. We are back, and we are still so hyped about Oladipo's game-tying three and the Pacers getting a huge win over the Bulls. Yes, it was a huge win because it was Oladipo's return game, so we are going to make this a big game, whether it was a big opponent or not. But helping the Pacers get this victory, Fachi, was a familiar face to the Indiana Pacers this season, and that has been the consistent T.J. Warren, who has not missed a game this year. Tonight, 10 of 15 for 25 points. Your thoughts on his game? Rock solid. It just seemed like T.J. Warren was that guy that whenever you needed a basket, he was able to come up with it. Just extremely efficient. Once again, 10 of 15 from the field, 2 of 3 from three-point line. He was playing defense again. He had two steals. I mean... The, the 25 points was – it was everything you needed because this was a game where the Pacers at times, they were going cold. I mean, there really wasn't that that constant force because Sabonis was battling foul trouble all game. Yeah. With seven and a half minutes left in the third, Sabonis picked up his fourth foul. He goes to the bench. I mean, it was up to T.J. Warren because Brogdon was struggling. Brogdon actually didn't have a basket in the second half until the two-minute and 30-second <laughs> mark. So – T.J. Warren was the guy who kind of put the team on his back. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, T.J. Warren has just been unbelievable for the Pacers this year. Like, this was Oladipo's return game, and it was all going to be about him. And we've talked about how does this affect Warren's role when Oladipo was back. But I think we're seeing it. Like, 10 of 15, 25 points. I get it. He's not starting with him yet, but... You know, Warren's just going to do what Warren does, and that's score the basketball, Fachi. And so that's one of the things, like, I'm excited about with this Pacers team because there was an article that came out today basically talking about how the Pacers let all six free agents go from last year's team, and they were known for a defensive-minded team, and they kind of transitioned into a more offensive power team that was going to continue to develop their defense. And getting a guy like T.J. Warren, who was not known for his defense, he comes in here, and he's going to be a great sidekick to Brogdon and Oladipo. Imagine those two guys having the best defenders on him and T.J. Warren drawing probably the worst wing defender. I mean, he's going to take advantage of that night in and night out. This Pacers team, my man, they have got some serious scores on there. They really do because I know you mentioned before just how they've always been a defensive team, but you have to be able to get with the times. And T.J. Warren is that offensive-minded guy that the Pacers needed. Uh, we're talking about, okay, Oladipo comes back. What's going to happen to T.J. Warren's minutes? He led us in minutes tonight with 41. I know the yeah. game went to overtime, but T.J. Warren was not sacrificing anything tonight. Uh, we saw him slide down to the four at times, which was which was great to see. We knew he'd play some four. So I think that that was just uh, – 
something that's exciting to see. And TJ Warren right now, sure, eventually, he'll probably have to give up some more shots to, to Oladipo eventually. But on a night like tonight, we needed TJ Warren, and he came through. Absolutely. So you brought it up earlier at the beginning of this segment, talking about the foul trouble of DeMontis Sabonis. And so he got that fourth foul, you said, with about eight minutes left in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Goga comes in, and I really am not someone that looks at plus-minus Fachi at all. But without Miles Turner, you're going to have to rely on the center, Batadze. And, I mean, if you're just a box score person and you look at these numbers, you're looking at 5 of 9 from Goga. That's over 50%. Four rebounds, 10 points in 15 minutes. You're thinking, hey, that's not bad for the young kid. But then you just you just slide over a little bit and go look at that plus-minus. And, and I'm not a big plus-minus guy. But for this game, I wanted to look at it specifically. DeMontis Sabonis in his minutes was a plus 16. Goga Bataze was a minus 7. That's a 23-point differential between those two when one was on the court and one was on, uh, one was off. So, you know, uh, Sabonis clearly is, is superior to Goga. And I was already seen on Twitter, oh, we got to talk about Miles Turner and how much we need Turner. Like, if the Pacers would have lost this game, it would have been – a terrible loss because this Bulls front court is atrocious. But it does say one thing. This Pacers depth at center to me, Fachi, if Turner or Sabonis gets in foul trouble and we're playing in the playoffs, are you really going to trust Goga Bataze as your third string center? Not right now. I can't because that the, the box score is deceiving. 10 points for Goga would sound awesome. But I'm telling you, he was getting some good looks from Oladipo, and he was not finishing. And at times, he just looks like the ultimate rookie in not a good way, where it's just, you know, little things like fouls over there, you know, a, a three three seconds in the paint, just, you know, turnovers where you're just like, oh, come on. Like, you got to get with the program over yeah. here. And it's just taking longer than we hoped. And when you talk about a differential of, you know, plus tw- you know, a plus minus difference of twenty three. That is huge. Oh, it's it's gigantic, my man. And here's one thing I want to just bring up because I am in a Indiana basketball group chat with some friends, and most of them are quite a bit older than me, so they remember the two thousand finals specifically. And they were talking about that Pacers roster. Actually, today they were talking about it on uh, Wednesday during the day. They talked about having Antonio Davis and Dale Davis um, and up until 99 until Antonio basically asked for a trade. And when he was, you know, when he was traded, the Pacers dealt him to Toronto for the fifth-round pick, which eventually became Jonathan Bender. And a lot of these guys were making the case like, man, imagine if you had a solid veteran like Antonio Davis on the bench to help handle Shaq in the 2000 finals compared to not having anybody and having to force Austin Crozier out there to play those minutes who was, you know, an, not a big enough guy to bang down low with no. Shaq. Nobody really was, no. but Antonio Davis, I mean, he was one of the enforcers of this team back in the 90s. I'm not saying anything bad against Goga. I'm not saying that keeping Kyle O'Quinn around would have made sense because I don't think Kyle O'Quinn's the answer. But I am saying this. I, I think similar to Bender, who had injury problems, he was not going to be ready for that moment. And I think the same thing is said for Goga. The potential is there. Now, will he develop into that? That's still you know something we have to wait and see. But I, I do think the Pacers, if they're smart, should try to look and possibly go out and get a third center to add to this roster 
Um, just because I want to make sure the Pacers have enough big man depth if we do get injuries or foul trouble. Specifically, if you're going to get stuck in a series possibly against Philadelphia. I don't want to go out there versus Embiid ever. Uh, never. Uh, and, and Alex, I understand what you're saying there because Goga's in a position right now where while he's young, this team cannot afford to let him just learn on the job. You right. know, maybe you could learn in blowouts or something, but if you're going to be playing meaningful minutes in meaningful games, he doesn't look ready. He doesn't. No. And the 10 points right now, if you want to play devil's advocate, is, is actually tied for his second most on the year. But I'm telling you, he left a lot of meat on the bone, a lot. Gogo could have had maybe 15 points tonight. And just the, the turnovers, the three turnovers, some of the fouls, they're just not smart fouls. I, I feel like I can't tell if he's either the referee's favorite to blow a whistle on or <laughs> if the refs just say, all right, well, you know what? I'm going to call it on the rook. He's got to earn his stripes. It just seems like he finds himself in the wrong place at the wrong time when you're hoping to find him in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I think defensively he's still a work in progress as far mm-hmm. as you know guarding these downhill guards because, I mean, you're playing in the European League. You're not seeing guys coming at you like a Zach Levine as fast as he can come off of a screen and get to the basket. You know, And this is just Zach Levine that we're talking about. We're not talking about you know a superstar in the NBA. I mean, this is a much faster level of speed, and we've talked about this, and we've talked about this, and we've talked about this. But I'm thinking like, if you're really thinking the Pacers are going to make a serious run in the playoffs, and I think the majority of us really think they can make at least the Eastern Conference Finals this year, I just don't know if you can do it without having that third big. You know, Jakar Sampson has done a good a good job in the role that he's been asked to play, but you're not going to rely on Jakar in the playoffs. TJ Leaf, nowhere in the rotation. No, no, no. Same mm-hmm. with Alizé Johnson. You know, these guys are undersized, especially for that center position. Goga's got potential but he's raw and you know you don't want to eat raw fish <laughs> if if it's not cooked you know what i mean so uh just just something the pacers really have to focus on here i'm sure kevin pritchard and the team has talked about it they might be thinking hey oladipo still not 100 might not ever be this season might be better just to wait till next year and see what goga does over the summer gets that muscle put on him like we see most sophomores do after the rookie year but fachi i'm probably just beating a dead horse here but it's just i just i'm worried about if this team loses in the playoffs and fans flip on goga if he's called to that situation you definitely don't want to see the fans turn on him because it it, guys simply put he's a rookie he looks exactly like a rookie and i think that the potential is there we have not seen the three-point ball we hoped at times there would be more blocks we've seen flashes of blocks but I don't think that this is someone where if he has to play extended minutes, I don't think that he could hold it down on the rebounds. You know, I don't think so. I don't think that he could. You don't want to, like when you mentioned him against Embiid, that, that's a nightmare right now. Right. That you can't, you can't even ask him to be in that situation. It's not fair. Or him so, or yes, Horford uh, even. I mean, Horford. No, no. Horford's the ultimate veteran. And I just think that when you talk about experience, it is just a massive difference there. Right. Uh, so Goga, I don't, I don't think he's ready yet. A third center on this team, it would be interesting. I wonder what it would take. Um, I don't know what you'd have to give up over there, but Goga it seems Sumner like a holiday. But it depends Sumner on who was you're getting. Sumner was the the first name that came to mind when I thought of a third string center. I don't want to part with Aaron Holiday for an insurance policy on this year when we still hope that Goga will be ready, just probably next year. 
Yeah, and there could possibly be a free agent you could sign for a minimum deal. Now, there's a guy that I've been intrigued by, maybe as, because I thought he was actually pretty good last year, even though he had some rough years before that, and that was Joe Kim Noah. Like, I'm not saying, and I think that Joe Kim would fit the style of play the Pacers like to play. He's a really good screener, good defender, good rebounder. He, he He's played with the Bulls. He knows what playing in the Central Division means, playing in the Eastern Conference. I'm not saying he's a guy that I necessarily want, but if you don't want to give up on a guy like an Edmund Sumner because you think there is potential there, then maybe you go out and sign a veteran big man and you part ways with a guy like an Alizé Johnson who might not be in the future of this team, or the same with T.J. Lee, someone that has really just lost his spot in the rotation. Cut one of those guys, sign someone to a minimum contract, and just try it for this year. Look, I like Joakim Noah. I met him once. He signed an autograph for me, and he signed it with a smiley face, okay? But make no mistake about it, Joakim Noah is a nutcase, okay? And I don't know if I want to... He's nuts, and I don't know if I want to bring him into this locker room right now. I feel like the vibe is great with the team. Yes, he's definitely a veteran who has accomplished a lot uh, in this league, but it seems like his better years are far, far behind him, and that's probably why he's out of the league right now. No, I I agree with that. I'm just saying in general, like, if you don't want to go trade for somebody or there's no trade out there, like, he might be your best option because he was in tryouts with the Lakers, and he was Mm -hmm. close, but... Obviously, we saw how much better Dwight was as a fit. And Way better. Dwight's done. Mm-hmm. Dwight has been very, very impressive for the Lakers this year. Uh, I do think there could be a veteran out there that maybe you could sign. You know, similar to what the Pacers did last year with Wesley Matthews. After he was bought out, didn't cost the Pacers anything. Um, so that that was a, a good, you know, smart, low-risk pickup last year. So I think the Pacers can look at something like that come deadline deadline time, but I wouldn't want to break any vital piece up for this team for an insurance policy this year. It would be interesting. Here's a name that would be interesting too, Fachi. Dwayne Dedman out in Sacramento has wanted out, and now I think that he's a capable big man, but there's money that you're going to have to pay for the next couple of Too seasons. much money. $36 million on that contract. Uh, Dedman, Don't you think you talent- can flip him? Don't you think you could flip him? Maybe. Look, the talent's definitely there. The situation right now in Sacramento is not good. Deadman showed a ton of talent last year, last two years with Atlanta, and I felt like he thought the Kings was going to be a much better opportunity. But where is that money going to come from when you have Sabonis' contract kicking in? It just seems like everyone's already signed. Oladipo's going to be up for his contract after next year. I feel like it could be tough to make everything work money-wise. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just one of those things where I'm just desperately looking to try and find somebody because I think like the perfect deal we just saw was Dallas trading for a Willie Cauley Stein. You it was know, perfect. Alex, it literally was. Yeah, something something like that. Like I know um, Ed Davis is somebody that was mentioned with Utah, but I don't think that they're going to just get rid of him because they need him as well. It's just. I'm I'm just rambling off names, and there's really no great solution to it, so they're probably just going to stick with Goga and, and just take their bumps and bruises with him. But it's just one of those things where I would like to see if they could improve that third center position. But anyway, Fachi, let's take a quick break real quick, and we will come back and talk about the rotation we saw McMillan play tonight. All right, guys, so as we wrap things up here and we come to our final segment, 
we were all curious what this rotation would look like Fachi and like I kind of expected which I don't want to think it's fair to Aaron Holiday but he was the odd man out tonight Oladipo returning basically took Holiday's minutes off the bench and then Gogo obviously got the play tonight because of the foul trouble to Sabonis so you see you know basically Miles Turner's minutes were given to Jakar Sampson and Goga kind of combined there. So what were your thoughts on the rotation? Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting to see just Aaron Holiday just not in the game altogether. I mean, it's not to say that Aaron Holiday struggled because he was 7 of 11 shooting last game against Portland. I know that Portland game was an absolute disaster, but he was still 4 of 8 the previous game against Golden State from three-point land. I mean, he's made 7 out of his last 10 so to see him just not get any minutes at all, it was interesting to see. Um, I wonder if they're really going to stick with that because Oladipo actually only played 21 of the 24 minutes that they said he might play. So it didn't seem like Aaron Holiday was really ever close to getting in this game, especially with it being so close. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you know, it looks like going forward with Oladipo back that we're not going to see much of Aaron Holiday unless there's an injury to a Jeremy Lamb, a Brogdon, or a McConnell, but I guess that's kind of nice to have depth. We know Aaron Holiday is in his second year. Um, McConnell's not going to be around forever. That's the mm-hmm. thing. Like we know McConnell's here for two years, but like he's a solid veteran. But I mean, is he going to be able to keep up the level of intensity that he plays with? And how much better is Aaron Holiday going to, you know, continue to get? Because we've seen Aaron Holiday have some great moments now we have seen some inconsistencies and I think I hate to say this but I really think that he hit a wall at the wrong point of the season I mean this January leading up to really that game in in Phoenix he just looked lost just lost yeah he was so bad Uh, I mean he for the month of January he's shooting just under 41 percent from three-point land, he is better at 42.5, but his numbers did take a dip, and it is a wrong time to take a dip because his team is starting to get healthy. While I know Brogdon has battled various injuries, they're not all related, so it makes you feel like he'll be fine moving forward. TJ McConnell was the one that got essentially the same amount of minutes, played 17 minutes tonight, averages just under 19 on the season, so it seemed like his minutes aren't really going to be affected too much. But to see Aaron Holiday not even kind of get five minutes in this game was pretty, uh, I, I don't want to say stunning, but it was like, wow, all right, you know, the, the leash is short over there for Aaron Holiday again. It's, and this is why maybe McMillan did not want to play Holiday a lot this season because he knew that with the Ladipo back, it was probably going to be him that was out of the rotation. But then again, at the same time, we've heard that. You know, when the Pacers were running their training camp that you saw T.J. McConnell and Justin Holiday wearing the yellow pennies, meaning they were with the third string. So it was supposed to be Holiday and Sumner, I guess, to start the year off with. But then McMillan just kind of reverted back to his old ways and played those savvy veterans like he always does because he can rely on them. And, you know, I talked with Kent Sterling about this on uh, Monday's podcast. Basically, like, do you think Justin was brought in here to kind of help mentor Aaron because the Pacers felt like there was still some immaturity. And he said, no, I think they brought Justin Holiday in there because they like the player that he is, but they thought this could help. He said, the problem is Aaron, basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said Aaron is trying to prove that he's a starter when he'll probably more than likely 
be a six-man type player his whole career. He doesn't think that there is that you know, potential for him to be a starter in the league, and I'm not sure if I necessarily would agree with that because I think we've seen moments from Aaron Holiday where he's been fantastic. But, you know, it's just it's one of those things where it's a veteran team trying to win now. McMillan is a very serious person about winning games, and he is going to do whatever he can to keep this job and continue to improve this Pacers roster. And if he feels like the chemistry is better with McConnell over Holiday, I guess you got to trust him at this point. There is no opportunity for Aaron Holiday to start on this team moving forward. Yeah, it's, true it's just it's just not going to happen. So I'm sure that he does envision himself as a starter. You're a young player in year two in the NBA. I, I feel like you obviously should have the utmost confidence that you can be a starter in this league. And I don't want to even begin the talk of saying, oh, well, you know, maybe he'll have to look elsewhere or anything of the sort because he is still a valuable piece to this team but that's what he is he's a piece not a centerpiece uh and right now it was actually jeremy lamb that saw an uptick in minutes lamb played 32 minutes where i thought that lamb might have been someone who did sacrifice some minutes tonight but lamb actually finished plus 12 on the night and was just an overall solid contributor yeah lamb was lamb was really good this game and i think one thing you're gonna see especially the next eight games like McMillan mentioned, you know, no back-to-backs for Oladipo, minutes restriction. So Lamb is going to continue to play that starting shooting guard position. And, you know, down the stretch we saw Oladipo was in the game and not Jeremy Lamb. So even when crunch time came, it was Oladipo over Lamb. But in that overtime we saw Lamb come back in because the Pacers were like, let's just take care of Vic. Let's not overextend him with these extra minutes. Let's ride it out there with the guys that have been playing with each other all season long. And I think we saw a little bit of that chemistry in overtime just kind of help the offense run a little bit more smoothly. And and it's going to be a bumpy road for the next couple of games as Oladipo continues to get his feet wet, get himself acclimated with that bench unit, and playing with the starters. Because even though he's only playing 20 to 24 minutes a game, it's where those minutes come when he's playing with who. You know, It was awesome to just see a glimpse of him and Brogdon together because really those were the guys that closed the game out for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, unbelievable. No, I know it was awesome to see what I believe is the clutchest backcourt in the NBA. Because okay, it seemed like I like the bold I, prediction. The clutchest I, backcourt. I, I really think it is. They were trading. over Steph and Clay. I mean, hey, well, and then how about the clutchest backcourt in the NBA this year? Okay, because those two guys <laughs> aren't playing this year. Right. So okay, I mean, right now I liked what I saw because I keep saying it. It's so cliche. But Brogdon saves his best for last once again. It sounded like the ending to like a like a like a comic book or a movie. Like here comes Brogdon just riding up on the horse to save the day at the end. I mean, once again rescues the Pacers. Right. Uh, it, it was just awesome. But the first lineup that we saw Oladipo come in, it was McConnell, Oladipo, Warren, Justin, and Goga. And I thought that that was an interesting second unit. And then at the end of the game. You saw Oladipo in there to close out the game. Uh, they were It was Brogdon, Oladipo, McBuckets, Warren, and Sabonis. They were the five late at the end of the game. I thought that was uh, another good unit. Um, it, it's just going to be exciting to see Miles Turner worked in that group. Uh, McBuckets, it wasn't the best game for him, but that's what happens when you've been blistering hot. At, at times, you're going to cool down a little bit. So the Pacers, they need to... Work Oladipo in there and get some chemistry going with some new faces. Yeah, that's that's what it is. It's just chemistry is going to have to develop. And 
Fachi, did you happen to see the article on the ringer from Rob Mahoney? That came out today, right? Right. Yes. Okay, so I haven't got a chance to read it all, but I, I did hear some people talking about it. And one of the weird wrinkles that came up in the conversation, so if you read it, I'm sure you'll have more clarity, but one of the weird wrinkles that I heard about this article was that they mentioned that there's a possibility T.J. Warren could go to the bench. Is that true? I, I really don't think so. I just feel like what's, what's did the wrong article with... say that? Did you see that or have you not read it yet? Uh, no, I only got to skim the first half of it. Okay. I meant to pick it up later, but uh, at the same point, I, I just I don't know where that would really come from or what how much truth is in that. I feel like, sure, T.J. Warren could just be the anchor of a second unit like we talked about coming into the year, but I feel like right now he's just been pretty solid all throughout the year. Why even tinker with it? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. It's just because I feel like Jeremy Lamb just makes more sense with the second unit. He does. And I understand the logic of playing Warren because he's a scorer and with Oladipo and Brogdon possibly taking those shots away from him, this would give him an opportunity to put up good numbers against bad defenders or worse defenders than what he's going up against now. But, you know, I think that if that's the Pacers' way of doing things, they could almost, you know, fixate the rotation to where Warren is getting more minutes with the second unit, even though he's still a starter. So to me, it was just kind of one of those things where I, I didn't understand that logic or those comments because all year long, I mean, McMillan even said that he was going to start the the season out the way he did, but he mentioned that, you know, when Victor comes back, Lamb will go to the bench at the beginning of the season. So I'm not sure what's really changed their mind because I haven't seen enough from Lamb to say that I would start him over uh, T.J. Warren. Not at all. And while I feel like Lamb has picked up his play uh, in January, um, it, it's still one of those where, come on, you picked up your play, but you haven't picked it up past T.J. Warren. I mean, T.J. Warren is someone who right now is actually having his best shooting month of the season. So to mess with it, it just seems like if it's not broke, why fix it? You know, I mean, this Pacers team right now, they're in fifth, but they're in the thick of things. For right now, you could be in second and third in any week. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, Pacers have just got to win these games against these bad teams, and hopefully by the time we head into the All-Star break, we do see a more comfortable Oladipo, so that way when these guys return for that last part of the season, we can see Oladipo in that starting lineup and just clicking on all cylinders with that starting unit. But most importantly, we just got to get Miles Turner healthy, not sick, and get him back on the court so we can start figuring out these rotations and start figuring out this chemistry. It seems like a puzzle right now because you know that while Jakar Sampson started today, you know he's about to disappear. Like he is <laughs> yeah. going to, well, like he is about to year already. <laughs> he is about to vanish like a ghost. But you know, Jakar is always ready for a revenge game against the Chicago Bulls. Alex, it happened tonight. Oh, <laughs> oh and Justin Holiday, you thought you were going to get out of this episode without hearing it, but it was oh, just cold dishes served left and right. <laughs> Justin Holiday, three or four from three against his old team, and Jakar, <laughs> he'll disappear because he did his damage to the bulls again and we'll we'll call them when we need them oh man well let's wrap this podcast up shout out to Kristen Neri. uh it's his birthday today so just want to give a shout out to the play-by-play announcer for fox sports indiana chris denary and also fachi i was just looking on my twitter and espn stats and info tweeted this it says since the start of last season 
Victor Oladipo has now made three game-tying or go-ahead threes in the final 20 seconds of the fourth quarter or overtime. That's tied with Paul George and Marcus Morris. For the most in the NBA, Oladipo has played 37 of a possible 130 games in that span. I'm pretty sure Marcus Morris and Paul George have played more than 37 possible games. Oladipo tried to give them quite the lead, but he is back. The sheriff is back to take his town over, and he tied them. It didn't take him long. I was actually looking up one stat. Last year, in terms of clutch ranks, his 5.1 points per game ranked number one in the NBA, 63.2% from the field, also number one, and 60% from three, second that's in clutch, in clutch time. So, I mean, he was essentially the clutchest player in the NBA, and he's back to take over his title. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you guys for checking out another episode here of Setting the Pace. Hopefully we got that game recap for you. Sorry if we deep-dived a little bit into some other stuff, but definitely wanted to highlight the unbelievable return of our hero, our leader, and our mayor and sheriff, Victor Oladipo. So, Fachi, where can the great people find us at? So they can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3 and on Instagram at PacersTalk. On Twitter, I am at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And Alex, tell them where they can find you. You guys can find me at AlexGoldenNBA on Twitter. And that's the only handle I'm giving out because my Instagram is not worth following. So just check me out on Twitter where I am the most active. And until next time, peace out, Pacer Nation. Let's go Pacers. Here's a long three by Oladipo. He's back. He's back. Ladies and gentlemen, he's back. Gotta feel good for him. Oh, my. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.